Let me share my word of greeting to you that you heard from Susan and Sharon and, uh, and you've given to each other and heard in other ways expressed this morning. Susie and I are delighted to be here. This is our second time to be in the pulpit. And I can remember when I was pastor at Summer Grove Methodist Church during our building phase in the early 80s over there, I would come uh, and visit at your previous location. I did a lot of singles ministry in those days and uh, had an opportunity to speak at that fellowship as well as in other places across the city and saw several people who related to this church. Then when you moved out here, on occasion I had opportunity to come and join in some uh, ecumenical groups that either studied or met out here. And I, found, I always felt from the beginning that this would be a great place to come to worship, a great pulpit from which to preach, and a wonderful, wonderful, very caring, aesthetic look where people could come and meditate and worship God. Now I've had that privilege once and again, and I look forward to any of those in the future should they come. So I'm glad to be here, and Susie joins me in, in her words of welcome, and I hope you meet her during the uh, time of fellowship after we gather today. I want to talk about reflections from two books. One from the Hebrew Bible is listed in your uh, worship folder this morning, your bulletin, and the other from the Christian Bible, the book of Revelation. Although I did not list specific readings, I'll refer to it on occasion throughout the message this morning and our sharing of the word. From those two sources, one of Jewish origin and the other of Christian origin, and I must be very uh, deliberate in, in admitting that both of those had their antecedent writings that we sometimes, particularly in the Christian faith, uh, fail to recognize because of the work of some of our forebears who said, if it's not in our Bible, it didn't exist, and it's not worthy. And what a mistake we made. Part of that we owe to Martin Luther, and part of it we owe to the Puritans. I hope we are growing beyond that very narrow negative view of anything of spirit or of worship that does not bear our imprimatur of Christian opponents. So I come with that understanding, and I come also with a sense of privilege uh, and delight for being able to come and share this message. There are, are two, two books I said that I want to, to share, and I want to talk about judgment. Now, this is not judgment like you hear spoken of in the political campaigns. Is, is someone capable of the kind of judgment that would be necessary to uh, serve in the highest of office of our land? And I don't want to explore that here, and I do not want to, to debate you. At another place, in another setting, yes, but not at this time this morning. I remember the words of Samuel Smiles who said, In the affairs of life or of business, it is not intellect that tells so much as character, not brains so much as heart, not genius so much as self-control, patience and discipline regulated by judgment. And while I hope we touch on that in an indirect way, that's not really the judgment I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at Revelation and 
at the uh, book of Ecclesiastes and talk about judgment, I'll have to be honest with you. It's sometimes difficult for me to approach these subjects because I grew up in what I call the burnt-over area of Arkansas, East Arkansas, evangelized by everybody and anybody. (laughs) Some with a decent sense of theology and many that were just plain old crackpot. And with all due respect to some of those folks who thought they were doing right, uh, they did probably more to scare this little boy at that time than they ever did to engender a faith and um, a love and an appreciation for a creator that later on in life I found out really did like me and really did love me and uh, wanted relationship with me, who did not go around with some great accounting book with assets and debits listed or things done wrong or things done right. I have to promise you I would have probably far more debits than assets and far more wrongs than rights. And I was scared to death that I was somehow enough another going to offend God in such a way that God could never love me and allow me to spend whatever eternity was going to be like with God. And that was built largely on those great pronouncements from the book of Revelation, which oftentimes is interpreted in terms of punitive or even vindictive voice, which I came to find out oftentimes reflected the mindset of the speaker of the time, which said that all of us are in, sorry about the rest of you. And uh, you won't get there, not unless you see it the way we see it. What a sad way to invite others to see not only the Creator, but also to see the great creation and the world and life that we've been given. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's also a word about judgment. And let me share it with you. It comes in parts, so let me share just the highlights, and uh, you'll find part of it in the ninth chapter of that book as we have received it. And the writer says this, Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Now, that would never have been read in my home growing up because my grandmother, the wife of an old circuit-riding Methodist preacher, believed that anything that had any kind of alcohol in it was demon rum. And there would you, never should you ever allow such to cross your lips. And I'd always tease her and get in a powerful lot of trouble because every September, just about this time, Mom would go to town and get a big bag of hard rock candy. And Dad, who was known to imbibe a little bit more than Grandmother appreciated, had instructions to go to the liquor store and get her a quart of rye whiskey. And in her cut glass decanter with that big old stopper that under the fear of death and worse, if we ever broke it or messed with it, she would stuff that candy and pour it full of rye whiskey. And that, when it dissolved, became her and Dad's cough medicine for the winter. (laughs) And you know what? They regenerated that bottle about three times, and about the time it turned to liquid, they got a powerful cough and it never ended till the last drop. (laughs) 
come sometime in spring. <laughs> Drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Hear what else is said. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your spouse, whom you love, all the days. This translation said meaningless, and that, that's, that's too harsh a word. For when you study the Hebrew, you'll find out it really means it, it, it's, it's more like brief, breath. Vanity of vanities, says some of the translations. So this vain life, this short life that God has given you under the sun, whatever your hands do, the teacher continues to say, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. Because once you lose your strength, and beyond this life, there is nothing to do. Anymore. Now, obviously, there are differences of what the afterlife is all about. Ecclesiastes does not hold to a view of the afterlife. It is in this life that God blesses and God places us, or the Creator. Revelation has a different approach. But it is oftentimes missed. It's a great book of hope, but, but that hope is also all, almost always lost for many new readers in the terrible imagery of violence and death and blood and destruction, that it's hard to find the words of hope they are there, or the promise that God's longing heart seeks to be in fellowship with humankind, much like the book of Genesis tells in the opening chapters. Another gift from our Hebrew neighbors and a gift to them from the Babylonians before that. And so from these two sources, I want to work. And in the 11th chapter, there is this passage that says, Be happy, O man, while you are young and strong, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your strength. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. Now, it's interesting, that's an almost literal translation. Some other communions, Christian communions, were a little bit worried when it says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, that they amended that to say, but don't do them. <laughs> Which is not in the text at all. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. And when you read that, you tend to think, uh-oh, here's where the other shoe's going to drop. But the words of the Hebrew sage, when you look at the meaning and the context, have a different picture. It is a picture that the Creator has called all of creation to be in fellowship, worship, and service, and unity together, and that humankind is invited to enjoy all these things. Not in the sense that we use it up in conspicuous consumption, but to share it and to know its goodness and to celebrate the joy of knowing that goodness. And it is in the sense that whether you enjoyed it or refused to enjoy it, that the writer is saying, for this, God will call you into account. What did you do with all the good things 
that are there for you to enjoy. The book is about joy. In the midst of all the cynicism and all the sense of, uh, of determinism that so many people read into this book, it's, it's hard to read and hard to understand. But over the chapters, you begin to see that this sage, this teacher, is trying to say to us, you were put here for life. In the teachings of Jesus, he said, I have come that you might have life and that abundant." And we don't, we sometimes think of that as, as more and getting rich and getting things, or as a friend of mine in Florida would say, of getting stuff. How many of you have seen the U-Haul following the hearse to the cemetery? Our stuff just doesn't make it, does it? Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's not about stuff. Or gain. Now, it's not opposed to comfort or the things that work can bring to you. But it's really about the joy of doing honest work. Of doing the things in which is not only what you feel you're called to do or want to do, but that is your passion. Whatever your hands find to do, it says, do with all your might. Now that's a little bit different reading than somehow or another if I don't believe one, two, three, four things, I think as I've said in the in the class that we've we've got a study of Revelation and of this book also, that it's not quite it's not quite like Alice in Wonderland where we're expected to believe one hundred impossible things before breakfast every day if you want to live there but a practical call to live in the world the Creator has given us and to enjoy it for all the days of our lives and to celebrate that joy that we can find in it. Susan, I don't know if you picked it deliberately, but the readings today fit this just so beautifully. From the, Thank you very much. From, from the opening words, the welcome, where it, where it celebrates unity and fellowship. This is what the teacher is talking about. As we went through the other readings, and, and thank you for leading us in them, Sharon, as, as, we, as we saw what really life is all about. It's not like you being like me, or that every one of us come November are going to go into that polling place and all pull the same lever for the same people. And God be with you if you don't vote like I do because you're wrong. (laughs) I don't believe that. I believe you have a right to go and express your choice, and I have a right to go and express my choice. And the wisdom and the will of the people will determine. Now, I hate some of this stuff that's going on around it, and I'm almost going to shout with Martin Luther King Jr. at the end of the day, and we know who the next people are going to be who are going to lead us. I'm almost tempted to go out in the middle of the street and shout, Thank God. You know, free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We're free from all these ads and all these signs and all these promises that don't mean a hill of beans. And maybe we can get down to settling life with a little bit of sanity. 
That's a process we go through every four years. And I sometimes wonder if we're a little bit like what uh, Mark Twain said about the weather. Everybody talks about it, but we don't do anything about it. I sometimes wonder at all our ruminations about whatever, however we see this election process. I'm glad we have it, folks. Don't misunderstand me. We don't do much about it. Maybe we need to call ourselves and our politicians to a higher level of accountability to each other and to us. So here we are. Two views of life and afterlife. One in which God is unhappy with all of creation. God is going to destroy it and start all over again. Which gets interpreted in many ways, which ultimately boils down to, as I've said, it's going to look like I want it to look. Sorry about your concept. I was doing a thing on Romans one time, and uh, excuse me, on Revelation one time, a little church up in Iowa, and, and when we got to the point where the writer is describing what heaven looks like, gates of pearl and streets of gold and all those beautiful things, wonderful, wonderful jewelry, uh, jewels everywhere. And I said, this is metaphorical language. This is not an exact description. And one of the guys got in there and stomped out, and he said, if it ain't the way the Bible says it, I ain't going to go. <laughs> Well, I think all of us have our prejudices and our preconceptions, and I hope we can outgrow them, and we can move beyond to where we can sit in fellowship before the Almighty together without rancor or discord, and with the sense that I have something to learn from you, and hopefully I have something you can learn from me. Because we are all the Creator's creation. We all belong together. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, as we read those things he shared with us a moment ago, ticks them off like this. Enjoy the simple pleasures of eating and drinking. This is not eat, drink, and be merry. I roll the clock back to the days of college, and we're at a fraternity party. My two older boys told their, their, their sister, our youngest child, when she went off to school, if you go to any of the fraternity parties, don't drink the red stuff. You know, life is, that's not what he's talking about. Sit down and eat your meal, eat, drink your wine, enjoy Whatever it is, take pleasure in it. Take pleasure in it. That you can sit down and table fellowship. I'm glad to hear that you're going to start your, your potlucks again. I think any community of faith or gathering of people, if they can share a meal together, table fellowship is some of the greatest of fellowship. Enjoy, this teacher says. Be merry in what you do. Not eat, drink, and be merry, but find the enjoyment, the enjoyment and the satisfaction that goes with it. And he also says, wear white garments. That stands for fellowship as much as it does for purity, festivity. Anoint your head with oil. What does the 23rd Psalm say? 
Thou preparest the table in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. And I always thought about what product are they selling? But it, to, to anoint your head with oil is both fellowship and joy and sanctity. A symbol. And this is what you do. And, and work again, not so much for gain, but the challenge of formidable toil. Devoid of wisdom and work, the teacher says, when he talks about the vanity of it all, the death is the vacuum into which all is sucked, the black hole. That's where the despair comes for a lot of people, and they dismiss the book. But it's larger than that, and you have to be true to his word, not to what I want it to say. And he's saying, you've been given a precious gift. Seize it. As the commercial says, you only go around once. Reach for the gusto. Now, I don't think that necessarily means here, the long neck, as it means reach for all that it has to offer you. Enjoy it. For this, you will be held accountable. The judgment is about refusing to enjoy what life and the Creator has placed before you. Bob Schuler says it another way. There will never be another now. Make the most of today. There will never be another me. I'll make the most of myself. Could have been a paraphrase of chapter 9, verse 7, 8, and part of 9. I think a word that I found helpful in living this is found from Bishop Arthur Lichtenberg, a former Episcopalian bishop, at a Lenten address gave these words for all those who came to celebrate that great season in the Christian faith. Every faith, every faith stance, believes in fasting. And so Lent, a time for Christians to fast, he said this. And listen to what he says. Fast from criticism and feast on praise. Fast from self-pity and feast on joy. Fast from ill temper, and I think my wife would like for me to write that in big bold letters across the mirror where I shave every morning. And feast on peace. Fast from resentment and feast on contentment. Fast from jealousy and feast on love. Fast from pride and feast on humility. Fast from selfishness and feast on service. Fast from fear and feast on faith and belief. This is the word I share with you. Amen and amen.